Is everybody ready to listen? It's time for our story. So last time we read about how um, the Admiral let Kizzy stay in his house while she got better because she was sick. And the men that worked for him were taking care of her. Uh, but then he said that there's going to be a meeting and he thinks that they're going to take her away from him. Right? Remember that? Yeah. And who came to visit her? Well, there's a boy named Clem, right? And the girl's name is Prue or Prudence, right? And her teacher came to visit her, Mrs. Blunt. All right, let's let's continue our story. Chapter four: The case of Kizzy Lovell. The children's department had decided to bring it before the court. Because we're flummoxed, said Mr. Blunt. The main room of a town hall, even of such a small town as Rye, seemed an oddly impressive place in which to discuss the fate of a small didecoy. The stairs up to it were wide, with a heavy red cord on brass links as a banister rail. In the vestibule was a wooden model of a ship under a great glass dome that caught the light. The room itself was high, wide, and long, with high windows. There was a dais at one end, a big table below. It took anyone walking from the door a good many steps to reach that table, especially if they were small child steps. Above the dais were the royal arms of England, the lion and the unicorn in gold and blue. Below them, a shield with the arms of rye, three lions rampant on three white ships' prows. All around the walls were panels lettering, lettered in gold with the names of the reigning king and queen, all the kings and queens of England from the time of Edward I, 1272, and all the mayors of rye who had served in their reigns. From the ceiling hung heavy gilded chandeliers. Now the table was covered with papers. A group of people sat along three sides, with the chairman's higher-backed chair in the center. He had a woman magistrate on either side. The one on the left was Miss Brooke. Mr. Blunt, as the child's officer, was there, and Dr. Harwell. So also, to their annoyance, was Mrs. Cuthbert. Of course I should be there, Mrs. Cuthbert had said. Wasn't I the one who discovered Kizzy? And I am on the school board. She had been determined and indignant. Mr. Blunt had written Kizzy's story as briefly as possible. He also had a letter about her from the Admiral. Please read them to the court, said the chairman, and when they were finished, go on, Mr. Blunt. Well, sir, Admiral Sir Archibald Cunningham Twiss kept Kizzy while she was ill. Mr. Blunt was interrupted by Mrs. Cuthbert. She ought to have gone to the hospital. I said so at the time. While she was ill, repeated Mr. Blunt, but she is well now, and for all the Admiral's kindness, we doubt if it's fit, sir, for her to stay on at Amberhurst House. Not with three old men, said Mrs. Cuthbert, 
and Dr. Harwell was nettled to reply after he had looked at the chairman for permission. I believe Admiral Twiss is 60, Peters. Peters, the houseman, in his 50s, while Nat might be 45, said Dr. Harwell. That is not old. Too old to look after a child. Please don't speak out of order, Mrs. Cuthbert. And the chairman resumed. It seems they looked after her very well. We have Dr. Harwell's report. But even if it were desirable, it would not be fair to ask Admiral Twist to keep her. Mrs. Cuthbert could not resist finishing for him. Of course not. She must go into a home. Ignoring Mrs. Cuthbert, the chairman asked Mr. Blunt, You have tried all your register of foster parents? Yes, sir, but it isn't easy to place a traveler child. Mr. Blunt looked worried. They seem afraid of her, sir. Well, do you wonder? Mrs. Cuthbert broke in again. She's a little wild cat. There was trouble at the school, and you should see the scratching she gave to my prue. She's dirty. Not now, said Mr. Blunt. Not even house trained. She is now. And they say she hasn't a vestige of table manners. Mr. Blunt, Mrs. Cuthbert, may I remind you that we are in court where we do not speak out of order. I am sorry, sir. Mr. Blunt was ruffled, but Mrs. Cuthbert closed her bag with an angry snap. As Miss Brooke, the chairman turned to her, I think you have something to say. Only that you can't expect to have table manners when you haven't a table. Some gypsy children eat with their fingers and wipe them on their hair afterwards. Ugh, said Mrs. Cuthbert. It isn't ugh to them. They believe it makes their hair soft and silky. And you know, in some ways, they think us dirty. Us? Dirty? Mrs. Cuthbert was incredulous. More than dirty, said Miss Brooke. A gypsy might refuse to have a cup of tea with you because he can't be sure of how you wash your china. Well, Miss Cuthbert almost spluttered. You might use the same bowl for washing out clothes, said Mrs. Brooke. They use separate ones. You might put your tea towels in the spin dryer with your bed linen or underclothes. I think we must remember, Miss Brooke said to the board, and flushed as if she did not like laying down the law. Try to remember... We're dealing with different standards, and different doesn't mean bad. A wise reminder, said the chairman. I think, Mr. Blunt, you should bring in the child. Mr. Blunt fetched Kizzy, who was waiting in the vestibule with Peters. She came in, her shoes shined as carefully as the admiral's. Her coat brushed, her hair brushed too, glossy with cleanliness, and the look on her face like the devil himself, said Peters who, when he had handed her over, went and stared out of the window, rubbing his eyes with the back of his hand. Fool that I am, said Peters. Mr. Blunt led Kizzy over that long floor to the table. Gracious, said Mrs. Cuthbert. I hadn't realized how small she is, almost undersized. Not, said Kizzy through her teeth. Mrs. Cuthbert, once again, will you kindly keep quiet? And the chairman leaned forward to Kizzy. Kizzy, you know some of us, Dr. Harwell, Mr. Blunt, and Mrs. Cuthbert. At that name, the black look grew blacker. But we are all here to try to help you. 
No response, only a glower from under the curls. Now will you tell us, Kizzy, if there is anyone, anywhere, with whom you would like to live? The reply was blunt. What's the use my telling, when you won't let me? Now how do you know? Let's try. The chairman was encouraging. Isn't there anyone? Myself. An involuntary smile went round. Kizzy saw it and scowled. Yourself. But Kizzy, little girls of seven, uh, I believe you're seven, can't quite live by themselves. See, said Kizzy, with scorn. I knew that's what you'd say. She became aware that Mr. Blunt was holding her hand. And let go of me, she screamed violently to Mr. Blunt, wrenching her hand away. Let me go. The child's shriek rose to the windows as Kizzy tried for the door. But the usher was blocking the way, and Mr. Blunt caught her. Kizzy was brought back to the table, her breath coming in gasps. Leaning on the sill in the corridor, Peters put his hands over his ears and shut his eyes. All right, Mr. Blunt. The chairman waved Mr. Blunt away. Now, Kizzy, stand still and look at me. Look at the gentleman when he tells you. Mrs. Cuthbert? The gentleman's voice was sharp, and he ordered, No one is to speak to the child except us, the magistrates. Then he turned to Kizzy and said gently, Mr. Blunt will not hold you. No one will touch you if you talk to us properly. So let's be sensible. And Kizzy stood quietly, though she held the edge of the table, and her breath still came in gasps. Now, listen to me, Kizzy said the chairman. I'm afraid we can't allow you to live by yourself. And though I'm sure Admiral Twiss will always be your friend, we can't let you stay at Amberhurst House for several reasons. This means we must find another home for you, doesn't it? No answer but the glowering, the small gasps. Doesn't it? Still no answer. You try, the chairman said to the woman magistrate on his right who in her turn leaned forward. Kizzy? Kizzy had obediently looked at the chairman. In any other circumstances, she would have liked him, but she was wary of ladies, and though she had realized there were two others in the room besides Mrs. Cuthbert, a large one and a small one, had kept her eyes away from them. Now it was the large one who was speaking in soft, coaxing voice. Kizzy, wouldn't you like to go... Are there other girls and boys? No answer, but an increased glowering, deeper gasps. A glowering is like an angry look that she makes. Like, mm. You would have someone to play with, coaxed the magistrate, as if you had brothers and sisters. Wouldn't it be nice, Kizzy, to have a sister? It was unfortunate, she said, sister. A look of desperation came into Kizzy's eyes, as if she were trapped, thought Miss Brooke. Then Kizzy spat. The spit landed plop on the table, and there was a silence as all of them stared at the little wet insult. And Kizzy ran, this time succeeding in dodging the usher. Peters caught her outside the door. Well, the kind magistrate was nonplussed 
as were they all. The court was not used to defiance from a seven-year-old. Oh, dear, I'm afraid I precipitated that. What did I tell you, said Mrs. Cuthbert in triumph. And when the usher had wiped the blob of spittle, the chairman said half laughingly, half sadly, Gypsies undoubtedly should stay with gypsies. They usually do, said Mr. Blunt. This is the first case concerning one of their children that has ever come my way. He paused. As you see, it's difficult. I like her spirit, said the chairman, but it's pitiful, said the magistrate. Precisely. The chairman was brisk. Magistrates must not be emotional. Now to get back to business. The question is, what can we do with her? We could make a care order, Mr. Blunt, handing her over to your authority's care, in which case you would have to find somewhere for her to live. Any other suggestions? Yes, Dr. Harwell? There's always St. Agatha's. But Dr. Harwell said it hesitantly. They would never refuse. There was a silence. St. Agatha's is an excellent home, said the chairman, but it is big. There have to be rules. What do you think, Mr. Blunt? I believe she would have a hard time there. So would the nuns, said Mrs. Cuthbert. <laughs> if we could find something more individual, sir. Mr. Blunt cast what he hoped was a quelling look on Mrs. Cuthbert. As you have seen, Kizzy doesn't take to the suggestion of other children. I expect she finds them strange, as they find her. She has made friends with a boy, Clem Oliver, but he's the only one. Admiral Twist says in his letter that she has always been solitary, said the chairman. Perhaps if you could find a childless couple. Mr. Blunt shook his head. No one seems willing, sir. There was another silence, and then Miss Brooke turned to the chairman, who said, You have an idea, Miss Brooke? I know fostering should properly done, be done by a family, said Miss Brooke, a man and wife, so that the child can have, as it were, a father and a mother. But Kizzy has never known either, uh, so perhaps she is different. And she isn't a baby, but already seven, as far as we can tell. Now that the Blunts have moved into a house of their own, Miss Brooke smiled at Mr. Blunt. I have an empty room. I could take Kizzy. You? They all stared. Yes. After that exhibition, Mrs. Cuthbert was incredulous. Particularly after that. There was a flush on Miss Brooke's cheeks again. I've always been interested in gypsies, and have oddly enough uh, several times been drawn into having to do with them. I was a magistrate for a good many years in our home country, uh, county of Berkshire. Mrs. Cuthbert sat up. We had two gypsy cases, children not going to school, when I was a barrister. You were a barrister, Miss Brooke? Yes. And Miss Brooke anticipated Mrs. Cuthbert by saying, I retired to look after my father. Once on circuit, I defended a gypsy family. I think I understand what it means to be homeless and little of how to deal with driven people. One of my father's stable lads, too, was a gypsy. You kept stables then? 
As Miss Brooke went back into her past, Mrs. Cuthbert grew more and more agog. You must have had a big house. We befriended him, Miss Brooke went on, as if Mrs. Cuthbert had not spoken. He taught me something about his people and gave me a little personal experience. With Kizzy, it might not be a success, but I could try, though I'm afraid my cottage will seem rather narrow to her. A cottage has far more space than a caravan, said the, said the chairman. Yes, but her wagon was open. She lived outside, and Amberhurst House, where, where she has lived since, is so spacious. However, my cottage is the last in the village, on the edge of the common. Kizzy might not feel shut in. And I am not far away, Mrs. Cuthbert chimed in. I can help. I will only do it on the condition that I am not helped. Miss Brooks' flush had deepened, but her words were firm. Except by Mr. Blunt, of course. Yes, it will be difficult. I think we all realize now that for a time Kizzy will be unhappy, perhaps hostile. Hostile? How dare... Mrs. Cuthbert was breaking in again, but the chairman raised a peremptory hand. Madam, I will not have you interrupting. If you persist, I will order you to leave the court. Then, Miss Brooke, he said, you really are prepared to take this hostile child? What would we be in her place? Miss Brooke said it simply. Yes, I would be prepared to do it. Prepared to try. Mr. Blunt? The chairman turned to the officer, but Mrs. Cuthbert broke in again. Though subdued, Mrs. Cuthbert, may I say something, sir? At least she asked, the chairman said to Miss Brooke afterwards, although she didn't wait for the permission. Forgive me for being personal, Olivia, said Mrs. Cuthbert, but it's my duty to ask, especially, she said to the chairman, as Miss Brooke refuses help, though she may have had experience on committees, should a single woman take a child into her home. Thank you, Mrs. Cuthbert, but Miss Brooke isn't, if I may say so, the usual single woman, nor is this a usual child, in fact so unusual that we should be grateful for any solution, let alone such a promising one. But may we hear, he said with another stern look at Mrs. Cuthbert, what Mr. Blunt thinks. That's an excellent idea, said Mr. Blunt, and the court ruled that Kizzy would go to live with Miss Brooke and be supervised from time to time, said the chairman, by Mr. Blunt. It was settled, began to be settled. Kizzy would, Kizzy would have said. Term had begun, and this is the morning, said Admiral Twiss. He had sent for Kizzy after breakfast. Peters is taking you to school. Then he will pack up your things and take them to Miss Brooke. She will fetch you. Miss Brooke had not spoken while Kizzy was in the courtroom, so that Kizzy had hardly noticed her. But she had since come to the Amberhurst house to meet Kizzy properly. Told you so, said Peters. Once one of them comes, others will follow. Told you so. If Peters was frozen, he was nothing to Kizzy. Admiral Twiss had introduced her in the library, and Kizzy had not spoken. Not once, he told Peters. Miss Brooke had not tried to make her. After she had said, Good afternoon, Kizzy, and had talked to the Admiral. At first it was stilted. Admiral Twiss was almost furiously shy. Then she asked him about his silver cups, 
and he showed them to her. These were rainbirds. These were royals. And soon he was talking of horse shows and racing as easily as she had been Nat. Until she brought me up short, the admiral told Nat afterwards. Yes, that was a good day, he had said, of a certain race meeting. I remember China Court won the great metropolis, metropolitan stakes. Not China Court, Mirzador, said Miss Brooke. And as the admiral stared at her, I know because my father trained him. Your father? Then your father was General Brooke. Good God! And the admiral turned to Kizzy. Miss Brooke's father was a famous racehorse trainer. So you see, she must like horses too. Kizzy only scowled. As Miss Brooke sat in the big chair opposite him, where since his grandmother, the admiral could not remember any woman sitting, he wondered how it was that she had come to live at Amberhurst. He vaguely remembered hearing that when Gerald Brooke died, he had scarcely any money. But Miss Brooke told no more about herself. She talked of the horses, of Amberhurst, of Kizzy. But he found himself looking rather than listening. And when she got up to go, he had an effort to stop himself from saying, You know, you smile with your eyes. There could be no pretense in a smile like that. And he had felt heartened for Kizzy. Now he got up from the breakfast table and blew his nose on his handkerchief. His eyebrows were working as he took Kizzy to the library and sat down by the fire, and as he had always done, drew her to him. But she stood stiff and as unwilling as a block of wood. It's no good, Kiz, said the Admiral. We have to go through with this, but I want you to know that you will always be my girl at Peter's and Nat's, and I want to make a bargain with you. What? whispered Kizzy. She was looking at his ring with the bird on the shield, remembering the first time she had seen it. Now, too, her eyes were hot with tears. I will promise to look after Joe for you, and you'll come up every Saturday and spend the day with us. Miss Brooks says you can, Sunday as well, if you like. But you must promise to do everything Miss Brooke tells you. And if I don't, the words seem to drop from Kizzy's lips. They may say we have taught you bad ways, and they won't let us see you, let you see us, which would be sad for us both. I should give you a promise, Kiz. Promise you'll do what Miss Brooks says. I promise. Gypsies promise, said the Admiral. Gypsies keep their word. Kizzy nodded, but gypsies have a way of wriggling round it, as the admiral ought to have known. Miss Brooke drove to the school to fetch Kizzy, but when Mrs. Blunt went to look for her, Kizzy's gone, she said, astonished. I told her to wait for you, which is probably why she has gone. Do you think she has run back to the house? Poor you, having to chase after her. But Miss Brooke did not have to chase. She drove slowly down the lanes, and there at the gates was Kizzy standing in the road, an uncertain, lost little figure. When Miss Brooke stopped the car, Kizzy turned a small, mutinous back. But there was something she'd learned at once about Miss Brooke. 
Like the Admiral, she did not ask questions. Where do you think you were going? Why didn't you wait for me as you were told? Instead, Kizzy, it's time for tea, said Miss Brooke. I can drive behind you if you like, but if I were you, I should get in. I won't eat your food or drink your drink, and I won't talk to you, said Kizzy at the table. That won't be very interesting for either of us, will it? Miss Brooke answered in a calm voice. The table was drawn up to the window where there are hacienths in pots. Miss Brooke had made cheese toasts and were in a hot, they were in a hot dish. The homemade currant buns had a spicy, fragrant smell. There was homemade raspberry jam, and the tea was hot in the brown teapot. But Kizzy took from her pocket one of the two crusts she had saved from school dinner and put it on her plate. It was so dry she could hardly bite it, but she did not touch the butter or the jam. Mrs. Brooke, or Miss Brooke did not seem upset, but went on eating and drinking. And when Kizzy had finished, calmly cleared away. Kizzy heard her humming as she washed up. She doesn't care, thought Kizzy, and her heart sank. There did not seem anything for her to do, so she sat down on the hearth rug and stroked Miss Brooke's tabby cat. She liked the cat. His name is Chuff, Miss Brooke called from the kitchen. Kizzy withdrew her hand. Presently, Miss Brooke came in. She did not, as most of her neighbors did, turn on the television and take out her knitting or sewing, but sat down, picked up a book, and careful not to glance at Kizzy, began to read aloud. Once upon a time, read Miss Brooke, there was a prince who hadn't much money, but he had a kingdom, and though this was quite small, it was large enough to marry on, and marry he would. Out of the corner of her eye, Miss Brooke could see Kizzy's attention was caught perhaps because she was surprised. No one had ever read to her just by herself before. Still, it was rather bold of him to say straight out to the emperor's daughter, will you have me? But sure enough, she did. Miss Brooke's voice was enchanting. And as she read, the cottage room seemed to be filled with the story of the swineherd, the prince disguised, the proud princess, the titupping ladies-in-waiting, the emperor in his old slippers. Kizzy, on the hearthrug, was still, and Miss Brooke put more expression into her voice. It was some time before she saw that Kizzy had her hands over her ears. And we're going to stop there for the night. Uh, I guess so. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out next time. Mm -hmm.